Well, uh, I want to thank uh, Andy again for his uh, uh, ministry uh, to us, and uh, I'll definitely be praying for his uh, ministry to the to the young folks at uh, New Life uh, Bible Camp. Is it called at New Life? But um, I can definitely appreciate the the prayer uh, for for the strength of of God each time uh, you minister. I always feel like I'm going to blow it. So uh, last night I I was uh, thinking about the the message. I was like, did I? I can't remember. Did I say that Egypt was to the south and Assyria's to the north and Babylon's to the east? I can't remember what I said, but if I said that, that's what was the right thing. I can't even remember. And I want to thank so many of you for uh, offering me Claritin this morning. <laughs> as soon as I came in, I had like uh, four or five different offers for uh, for Claritin. So uh, hopefully uh, this morning I'll uh, be able to think with a clear mind and uh, we'll just be able to jump uh, right into the to the Word of God. So we're in the the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to spend our time uh, this morning. Uh, Last night we spoke about Daniel when he was young, and uh, this morning we're going to speak about Daniel when he's old. Uh, Daniel, uh, in chapter 1, he kind of talked about his uh, time as a teenager, uh, somewhere between 15 and 18, most people believe. And uh, now we're going to talk about Daniel when he's an old man. Uh, somewhere in his 80s, maybe early 80s, and we're going to see that the the faith uh, that he had at the beginning and that uh, trust in the sovereignty of God that he had at the beginning of his life is the same kind of trust that sustained him all throughout his life. And uh, and that's encouraging uh, to know that the, the same uh, faith that we have in the sovereignty of God, this fear that we have of, of our, our sovereign God, is able to sustain us for the duration of our lives. It's, it's not a, a temporary uh, kind of situation. It's not a, a resource that runs out. If you have a, a correct understanding of God, this is something that can last you throughout the entirety of your life. So we're going to turn to uh, Daniel chapter 6. It's a familiar story. It's a story about Daniel and the, the lion's den. And uh, uh, sometimes we uh, uh, kind of leave this to the, to the children's classes, you know, uh, to read about Daniel and the lion's den. And uh, maybe you grew up like I did with the little flannel graph. And, you know, here's a lion and here's Daniel, you know, praying in the middle. And it kind of stays, you know, back into the, the children's classes. But um, there's, there's a lot more that this chapter has to say uh, to us. And uh, hopefully we can point that out uh, this morning. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to start at the end of, of Daniel uh, chapter 6, uh, because I, I really believe that this is the point of uh, what was being communicated in the, in the chapter. I'm going to start at verse 25. It says, Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's uh, just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again for uh, your word. Uh, Your word is holy. Your word is true. Uh, Your word is powerful. And uh, Father, I pray that you would speak uh, with power to your people uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. A couple of things I want to point out to you. The, the point of, of Daniel chapter 6, the story of the, the lion's den, is not primarily primarily to, to be, be like a Daniel. That's not the, the primary point. That's not the main point, to be like Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a great servant of God, and he's worthy of imitation. So we should imitate what we see in his life. There's nothing wrong with imitating the faith of faithful men, and that's what we're instructed to do throughout Scripture. In uh, 1 Corinthians 4.16, it says, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. And uh, Paul can say that only because he's an imitator of Christ, and that's how it should be. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Uh, Later on, Paul also says in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. The God of peace will be with you. And uh, we need to live lives that are worthy of imitation. Uh, We need to find those that are uh, worthy of imitating. And as the author of uh, Hebrews reminds us in uh, Hebrews 6.12, that we need to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And uh, primarily for, uh, for the children in here, that should be your parents. 
that are uh, uh, living out that kind of life that, that's worthy of, of imitation. We need to be that kind of example. Uh, one of the, the things that I've uh, pointed out in my study through the, the book of uh, Titus a, a little while ago is uh, with the, the young men, especially in the church, that they need to see examples of older men that are living out the faith. Uh, you find that uh, uh, both Timothy and Titus are instructed to be examples, examples to the younger men within the church. And, uh, and Titus is kind of interesting. Uh, there's only one command given to the young men, which is to be sensible. Everything else they learn by imitation. They learned it all by imitation of having a, a, an example. And that's what makes uh, eldership so important, that you need men that are actually going to be an example for the rest of the, the congregation. So we do need examples. And Daniel is an example, but that's not the main point of Daniel chapter 6. Also, the main point of uh, Daniel chapter 6 is not merely to be strong in, in faith. That's another application that we can rightfully draw out of the, the narrative in Daniel chapter 6. And it's the, the aspect that's actually highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, it lets us know, it talks about this, uh, the great hall of faith, and we find these words in uh, verses 32 and 33. It says, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, and then it says this, shut the mouths of lions. Who do we know that shut the mouths of lions? It was, it was talking about Daniel that uh, Daniel's faith and trust in God shut the mouths of the, the lines that would have torn him to pieces. And in uh, verse 23 of Daniel chapter 6, it says, uh, So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he had trusted in God. He trusted in his God. So Daniel is an example of, of faith, a, a strong and resilient uh, kind of faith, and there's no question that we can learn from that example of his faith. But again, I don't think that that's the main point. Also, I don't think that the main point of Daniel 6 is even to be courageous. And uh, for those of you who've watched VeggieTales, that got that question, you know, where's God when I'm scared? You know, where's God when I'm scared? And is Daniel an example of, of courage? And, I mean, you better believe he's an example of courage. He is an example of, of courage. In uh, chapter 6, verse 10, it uh, talks about that after you learned about this prohibition on prayer, that it was outlawed to pray to anybody else besides the king, the first act that we see him doing is praying. <laughs> I mean, that's defiance. It's like, you know, he, he doesn't care what the, the, the law is. He is more concerned about the, the law and commands of, of God. So we can learn to be courageous, to be strong and courageous through the life of, of Daniel. But I think that if we miss the point at the end of the story, that we've missed the main point. The point at the end of the story is uh, really what's the, the most powerful aspect of this passage, and it's in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 6, in, in verse 26, he says, I make a decree, this is Darius speaking, I make the decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. What's the point that King Darius got out of this whole story, out of this whole narrative? Men are to fear and tremble before Daniel's God. Fear Daniel's God. Men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel because he's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. That's the point that Darius walked away with. After all that he saw, he didn't say, wow, what an example of faith Daniel is. Wow, how courageous Daniel is. He says, wow, what a God Daniel serves. That's the point. That's the point. And, and this is a point that I think we really need to drill down into our minds, into the minds of our children, because times are going to get difficult. They already are, but they're going to get more difficult. And the thing that's going to sustain your children and sustain you for the duration of your life is not, wow, you know, let me think of a good illustration. You know, Daniel was a man of faith. Why don't we be like Daniel? That's not going to sustain you for the rest of your life. It's not going to just sustain you to say, hey, Daniel was a man of courage. I want to be like that. That's not going to sustain you for the rest of your life. What's going to sustain you for the rest of your life is that I have a fear and a trust in God. And because of my trust and confidence in this God, that's going to sustain, sustain me for the entirety of my life. It's Daniel's God. That's the point. Do I fear God? Do I fear God? That's what's going to sustain you when you're in a lion's den. When the storm strikes your life. The only thing that's going to sustain you at that point is not, you know, where's God when I'm afraid, but who's afraid of my God? The kind of God that I serve and worship, people should fear and bow and tremble before this God. If I have that kind of confidence in God, that's going to sustain my life. Do you fear and tremble before a sovereign God? And that's a concept that's lost in today's church for the most part. And uh, we've kind of done our fair share of uh, taking the teeth and claws out of a statement like that. Do you fear God? 
uh, because we don't really present God as somebody who's worthy to be feared. Um, often when we talk about that concept of, of fear, we, we uh, usually couch it and say, well, you know, it's not really fear. It just means to, to reverence somebody, you know, to just be respectful. You know, that's what's meant by, by fear. That's not how Darius would have understood it. When he, when he said men should fear and tremble before this God, he, he wouldn't have understood, hey, people should just kind of respect him. He said people should tremble before this God. This God is awesome. This God is majestic. The same exact phrase is used in Daniel chapter 5, uh, verses 18 to, to 19, where Daniel speaks to King Belshazzar. And uh, he uses these same words about his father, Nebuchadnezzar, in uh, Daniel chapter 5, uh, verses 18 and 19. He says this. He says, O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Listen to this. Whomever he wished, he killed. Whomever he wished, he spared alive. Whomever he wished, he elevated. Whomever he wished, he humbled. So he's saying that people, when they, when they heard your father's name, Nebuchadnezzar, they feared and trembled before this king. Why? Because if he says my life is over, it's over. <laughs> if he says I'm going to be humbled, I'm going to be humbled. There's nothing I can do. This is the same kind of language that's used for Daniel's God. So when Darius speaks about Daniel's God, he says people should fear and tremble before him. Why? Because your life is in his hands. Whatever he wants to do with you, he can do. If he wants to put you to death, you're gone. If he wants to humble you, you're humbled. If he wants to elevate you, you'll be elevated. If he wants to spare your life, he'll spare your life. But your life is in the hands of God. This is what Darius understood. Uh, the Aramaic word for fear is uh, dekal. It means uh, dreadful, fearful, awful. <laughs> it's an old word for, for something being awesome that is just full of awe, amazement, wonder. When we talk about God, God is the one who fills us with awe. The Aramaic word for, uh, for tremble is uh, zua. It means uh, to tremble, to quake, shake. You know, you're just, you're just shaking violently because of the one that you're standing before. I mean, it's the, the, the God that makes your hands unsteady, your voice quiver, your knees start to knock. This is the kind of God that Darius understood Daniel to, to serve. And the people of Babylon would have been terrified, terrified of, of crossing a king. And he's saying, this is the same way you need to be terrified of crossing this God. That's what uh, King Darius is, is saying. He says there's a king in, in heaven who sits over the kings of the, the earth. And uh, really, when you think about who God is, I mean, the, the, the nations of the world are absolutely like nothing before him, right? In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 15, it says the nations are like a drop from a bucket. What does that mean? Drop from a bucket. Quick illustration. If you go out to, to wash your car, got a bucket full of water, and you start walking and you get bumped or something, and a drop spills out, do you go back to the faucet to make sure you, you know, let me get that drop back? No, it's like, who cares? It's just a drop of water. I've got a whole bucket here. It says the nations are like a drop in the bucket to God. It's like it doesn't really matter. Inconsequential. Isaiah continues in uh, verse uh, uh, 15 of Isaiah 4. And he says it's like a, it's regarded as specks of dust on the scale. Uh, the ancients measured uh, weight on a scale, uh, usually to, to weigh their, their goods and different things that they sell. And, uh, you know, if you, you see a scale and you can think about it like in a, in a grocery store, if you're buying fruit or vegetables and they put it on the scale to weigh it, you don't say, hey, hold on, there's a piece of dust on this scale. Let me, you know, make sure I get that off. I don't want to pay for that. No, this, this dust, who cares? It's inconsequential. And to God, he's saying that, that the nations are like that to me. It's like dust on the scales. I, I'm not really bothered by it at all. It can sit there if it wants, but it's not going to trouble me. This is the kind of God that we, we serve, a God who's worthy of fear and honor and the sovereignty of kings compared to God is like nothing. It's a drop in a bucket. It's dust on the scales. And the bottom line here is that Daniel feared God more than he did man. Uh, so I want to submit to you that the reason we know about Daniel's example, the reason we know about Daniel's faith, the reason we know about Daniel's courage is because of Daniel's fear. Daniel had a fear of, of God. Uh, he feared God more than he did man. And Jesus says the same thing in uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 to 5. He says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into, into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The kind of God that we're to tremble before is the God 
who has the right and the authority and the power to cast into hell. That's the kind of God we need to tremble before. We don't need to tremble before men because all they can do is kill us. And there's no more they can do. Nobody can reach you beyond the grave. You need to be afraid of the one who can reach you beyond the grave. And that's what we learn from Daniel. A small view of a weak God will not strengthen you when you're standing alone in the lion's den. Because you're, you're, you're fearful of, you know, my life might be taken. But if you fear a God who, who actually has the power to cast into hell, who has the, the authority over eternity, you're going to be able to stand in the face of adversity. And this is what we need to, to teach our, our young folks. And this is what we need to, to understand as, as older uh, folks that, uh, that we need to fear this God. So if you're going to stand in the day of adversity, you need to fear God more than you do a group of people not including you, more than your coworkers betraying you, more than your family not speaking to you, more than your enemies persecuting you, and more than a pack of lions eating you. You need to be more fearful of God. And, and we live in a time today, and, you know, you just read the news. I mean, people are losing their bakery shops because they don't want to cater to certain individuals. They don't want to celebrate, you know, the, 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 the agenda that our world has, our nation has. You need to fear God more than you do losing your job. I have a, another guy who was, uh, just because he supported uh, the traditional view of marriage in California, uh, that he was X from being the, the CEO of a company, right? We're, we're living in that kind of time, people, <laughs> where, where you need to know who you serve and who you fear because there's going to be a lot of people that say, hey, if, if you don't go along with the agenda, you know, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your respect, you're going to be, you know, marginalized. We need to have people with backbone that say, I believe and I trust in God, I fear God more than I do you. You want to take my job, take my job. You want to persecute me, so be it. But I'm more afraid of this God that I serve. And I'm going to stand on the principles of, of God's word. So this is something that we need to, to understand. Disobeying God has to be more fearful to you than anything else. And what we're going to learn in this passage are the results of fearing a sovereign God. Uh, five points. I'll cover probably two in this message and the, the next three next time. Uh, but I'll just give you the, the overview. If you fear a sovereign God, your life doesn't blend in. Your integrity doesn't bend over. Your character doesn't buckle under, your faith doesn't break down, and your light doesn't blow out, okay? And we're going to go through, through those this morning. Before we get to the uh, outline, let me just help you a little bit with the, the context again. Uh, Daniel writes during a period of time when Israel's hope is basically shattered. The golden age of Israel is, is no longer. It's so far back in the rearview mirror that people don't even see where it is anymore. It's like a vague memory at this point when Israel used to be a, a nation and had some influence. Uh, by the time uh, Daniel's in his 80s, it's been about 400 years since the reign of uh, David and, and Solomon. Uh, like I mentioned last night, the uh, northern kingdom fell, and uh, it's been 70 years since the southern kingdom fell at this point. Capital city, Jerusalem, is lying in a heap of rubble, and uh, Israel's past isn't a pretty picture. And the, the future doesn't seem like it's too bright either. Uh, Israel doesn't appear to have much of a future at all. Uh, the Babylonian Empire... Uh, it's just been uh, defeated by another uh, superpower, the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And uh, Israel is just kind of caught in between. You know, it's kind of like, you know, a little, little toy that's being yanked back and forth between the superpowers. You know, between Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and, you know, the Medo-Persian. It's just like, you know, Israel's just kind of being yanked back and forth. Like, no, no, no ability to control their destiny at all. And here you have uh, Daniel, who kind of saw this transition. He saw when uh, Babylon rose to power and flex their muscles. He was there when Jerusalem was destroyed. I mean, he's seen all of this. He was there when Babylon was conquered by the, the Medo-Persians. And uh, Daniel chapter 5 actually uh, describes that event as, uh, you know, you have the, the king uh, uh, Belshazzar who was uh, having a party, and he was interrupted in the, the midst of his uh, celebration over in, uh, in Daniel chapter 5 and Verses uh, 4 to 6, I'll just read it for you real quick. It says, They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So here they are just living it up. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him. And his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. God is saying, Belshazzar, your time is up. The kingdom is being given over to, a, to another and uh, Daniel was there to, to witness all of this. 
the, the head of gold, which was Babylon, was now giving way to the uh, breast and arms of uh, silver, which was the Medo-Persian Empire, and his kingdoms being taken away. According to the uh, historian Herodotus, uh, the Medo-Persian em- army uh, gained entry into Babylon by diverting the waters of the uh, Euphrates. The Euphrates River actually ran through uh, Babylon, and uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, they, uh, they diverted the waters that ran through uh, Babylon so they could c- actually crawl underneath the gate and get their whole army in without, without a struggle. They didn't have to break through those you know, thick walls, those 45 feet thick walls. They said, we'll just crawl underneath. We'll get the water out the way and we'll crawl underneath. And uh, you had this, this superpower, Babylon, who was so strong and mighty and you know, seemed like they were indefeatable, undefeatable. Uh, and uh, God says, your, your time's up because I'm sovereign. I'm, I'm in charge. And that's really the message that Daniel encourages the, the Jews in captivity with, that there's a God who's in charge over the superpowers. There's a superpower over the superpowers, and that's who God is. His sovereignty rules over all. And uh, just for the, the first point here, if, if you fear a sovereign God, and, and Daniel understood who his God was, if you fear a sovereign God, your life doesn't just blend in. Your life is not just like everybody else. That's one of the worst things that could be said about a Christian is, hey, you're just like everybody else. We're, we're not like everybody else, right? We, we don't just blend in with, with everybody else. If you fear a sovereign God, your life doesn't just blend in. Look at uh, chapter 6. I'll read 1 through 5. It says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said... We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. In Daniel uh, chapter 5, like I said, we, we learned that the kingdom was, that was once Babylonian had been toppled over, and, and now there's a, a new uh, kingdom that's in, in charge. The Medo-Persian Empire was, in, was now in charge and, and took over, and here you have uh, Darius. He's appointing uh, 120 satraps over the kingdom. So he's kind of trying to divide up the, the governing of this uh, new kingdom that he's taken over. Uh, there's a question about who this king uh, Darius is. And uh, we really don't have any record of uh, if this king uh, Darius anywhere outside of, of Scripture. All we know about him is, is what we read here. So uh, there's, there's some people who say that you know, uh, Darius is just another word for, for Cyrus, who was the, uh, the one in charge of the, the Medo-Persian uh, Empire. And uh, they say that Daniel 6, 28 should actually be read. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian, actually saying that you know, Darius and Cyrus are the same person. Darius, even Cyrus the Persian is how some people read that, but that's kind of a strained reading there. Uh, another way to, to take this is that... Uh, Darius is actually a, uh, another name for a guy by the name of Gubaru. Uh, Gubaru, it's a, a name that we find in uh, ancient records of uh, the Near East, uh, according to a Babylonian record uh, known as the Nabonidus Chronicle. It talks about this time and, and actually uh, uh, gives this, this, uh, this thought. It says, Cyrus entered Babylon. Green twigs were spread in front of him. The state of peace was imposed upon the city. And Gubaru, his governor, installed sub-governors in Babylon. And this is exactly what we find this King Darius doing. He's appointing these sub-governors underneath him to kind of take charge of, of the city. So it's possible that uh, Darius was a, a ruler underneath another person named Cyrus who was given charge over Babylon, and he's just kind of organizing this, this kingdom for, for Cyrus. Uh, so, so that's actually uh, uh, one of the, the ways and the way that I would understand uh, this here. So you have this, uh, this kingdom that needs to be governed. And uh, there's a, a couple reasons why they would appoint you know, these people underneath uh, the, the rulers to, to do this. Uh, first of all, in, in order to, to kind of keep things under control, uh, it's, it's easy to keep things under control with people that people already know. You know so they get the locals together, the local people who are already governing, and say, hey, we want you guys to continue what you're doing. You know, the people already know you, they respect you, but you'll just be underneath us now instead of of uh, somebody else. So that's one of the ways that they would keep uh, things under control. And uh, also the Persians were known for wanting to develop friendly relationships with those they conquered. So instead of just wiping out all the existing leadership, they just kind of take out the top people and leave the people underneath 
alone. And I kind of have this uh, pyramid uh, structure. And uh, so you have uh, these 120 uh, satraps who were, who were chosen. And then in uh, chapter, uh, in verse 3, in chapter 6, it says, This Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. An extraordinary spirit. What does that mean? He possessed an extraordinary spirit. In uh, chapter 5, verse 12, it uses that same phrase. When uh, Daniel interpreted uh, Belshazzar's dream, he says the same thing about Daniel, that he has an extraordinary spirit. The people that talked about Daniel said he had an extraordinary spirit. In uh, chapter 5 and verse 12, it says that uh, this was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So uh, Daniel was recognized as having something extraordinary, something supernatural. The, the, only, the only thing they could say is that he, he has this kind of, you know, divine spirit. There, there's, there's something supernatural about this guy. They actually uh, called it literally the spirit of the gods is in him. They understood that this wasn't just this natural. And, and here we find uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, even in, in the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit was uh, still at work. And uh, the, the fear of, of, uh, of God also, you know, having this extraordinary spirit uh, showed up in the way that he, that he worked, that he distinguished himself among the commissioners and, and satraps. There was, there was something special about Daniel. And what was special about Daniel, uh, again, it's, it's not because he had a, a fear of, of man. Fear of man doesn't produce this kind of superior work ethic, you know, this, this extraordinary uh, spirit. I mean, the rest of the people had that. They were fearful of the people who were over them. And just having the desire to be noticed by men doesn't, doesn't produce this extraordinary spirit. I mean, everybody else had a desire to kind of, you know, please people and kind of work their way up the, the ladder. What, what Daniel had was, was something that was uh, beyond natural motivation and beyond natural Empowerment. What he had was a resource that came directly from God. If you have a, a fear of God, it will motivate you uh, to be different than the, the people around you. And, and because of this extraordinary spirit that, that Daniel had, uh, he was actually distinguished among everybody else. The, the way that he worked, his, his work ethic, the, his integrity separated him from everybody else. And, and that needs to be true about all of us, right? That, that if we have a trust and a fear of God, it should motivate you in such a way that people see, see that there's something different about this person. There's something different about the way that he works, his attitude for students, the way that they study. There's something different about this person because they, uh, and there's no other way I can explain it, but there's just something extraordinary, an extraordinary spirit about this person. That should be true of every Christian. That people shouldn't look at us and say, hey, he's just like everybody else. There was something that separated Daniel from everybody else. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, it talks about our, our work, the way that we work. It says, slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external services, those who merely please men. Again, it's not just to please people. But with sincerity of heart, listen to this, fearing the Lord. What should make our work different? We fear God. It's not just about, you know, I'll, I'll do what I need to do when people can see me. I'll do what I need to do when, when I know that it's going to get me ahead. You know, when, I, you know, the boss shows up and everybody, hey, you know, you know, act busy. You know, the boss is here, right? For the Christian, the boss is always there because we fear God. We fear God. And so, so here you have Daniel. He didn't blend in with those that were around him because he had a fear of a sovereign God. It wasn't that I fear man. It's not that I just want to please man. He says, I have a, this fear of God that, that motivates me. And if your boss is Jesus Christ, I mean, what, what better motivation do you need, right? You know, my, my boss is, I, I report to God. <laughs> you know, what better motivation do you need than that? I remember uh, working in an, uh, an apartment uh, complex when I was out uh, in California uh, going through seminary. That was one of the jobs that I had. And I remember there was the, uh, uh, the owner of the apartment complex. Uh, he told the, the guy that I reported to, he says, you know what? I, I really like to hire seminary students. Uh, because they always do a good job for me. He, he wasn't a believer, but he says, I, always, I like to hire believers. You know, people from the master seminary, I like to hire those guys because they always do a good job for me. You know, they're, they're people of in integrity. And I'm like, wow, I, I need to make sure I, I don't mess it up, right? <laughs> you know, because uh, he's actually got a good reputation of what Christians are like. You know, I don't want to be the, the one bad egg in the bunch, you know. 
So, uh, you know, I always made sure, and I wanted to do a good job anyway, but it just kind of heightened it a little bit for me because it's like, hey, he actually recognizes that there's something different about the way that Christians work. One of the saddest testimonies that I remember is uh, there was another company that I worked for, and uh, this guy actually told me, he says, you know, I, I really don't like to hire Christians uh, because of the way that Christians took advantage of them. You know, instead of using their time on the job to actually do work, you know, they were busy on their job trying to evangelize people. We need to evangelize people, but do it on your lunch break. <laughs> you know, ask somebody, you know, hey, do you want to go to dinner with me or lunch with me or something like that before work, after work? Don't use the time that, you know, you're supposed to be clocking in and doing work to, you know, uh, send out your emails and say, hey, we've got some encouraging scripture. You know, work is unto the Lord. It's like you're doing it on the wrong time, right? <laughs> so you had a, uh, I had this, this uh, experience of, you know, on both sides. One says, I always like to hire Christians. And another said that I'll, I, I never really want to work with Christians again. We need to be people that people say, hey, there's something extraordinary about you. That's the kind of people that, that we need to, to be. In uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine, it says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And uh, Daniel was a type of person that stood before kings. It was fulfilled in, in his life. But uh, not everybody appreciated the superior work that, that Daniel had to offer. Uh, there was a group of people that were jealous of Daniel. And uh, you have these uh, commissioners and satraps. It says in uh, verse 4, it says they tried to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation. You know, if, if you know anything about politics, if you have uh, some bones in your closet, somebody's going to dig them out and present them to the world, right? Daniel didn't have a bone in the closet. You know, forget the skeleton. He, they couldn't even find a bone against Daniel. The way that he lived was just, just I mean, with so, so much integrity. Not only was his public life scrutinized, so was his, his private life as well, because they're, they're looking at what is he doing off the clock. And they say, if the only way that we're going to get him is if we find something in regards to the law of God, because we know that he obeys the law of God. So they're looking at what is he doing publicly, what is he doing privately, because they want to trap this guy. And the, the question for us is, if, if somebody were to start to scrutinize your life, right? And say, you know, we want to find an accusation against this person. Would they find it? Are you giving people reason not to believe the, the message that you have to proclaim or not to believe in the God that you, you worship? We serve a God where we, we really don't have any secrets. There's no, like, secret corner of our life where it's like, hey, this is for me and, uh, you know, the rest might be for God. It's like all of our life belongs to, to him, right? In uh, Psalm 90, verse 8, it says, Thou hast placed our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. Psalm 139, verse 12, it says, Even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. Proverbs 5, 21, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Proverbs 15, 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Daniel served a guy that he knew watched him all the time, and that he needed to be a person of integrity in, in all of his life. And unfortunately, sometimes we think about that in the, the opposite way. It's like, you know, when, uh, when people have their eyes on me, that's when I want to, you know, be a person of integrity. But, you know, when it's just, just me and, uh, you know, it's just kind of out of the public, you know, eye, then, then I can kind of do what I want. I remember uh, uh, Rick Holland, he was the uh, college pastor out of Grace Community Church. He said there was uh, two college students that came to him and uh, that, that fell into some, you know, immoral behavior. And uh, he said, you know, hey, guys, I just, I just want to let you know that, um, that somebody saw you. And it's like their faces turned pale and got quiet. They say, what? You know, did, what, do you know who, who it was? I mean, did a friend see me? He says, no, it wasn't a friend. And they, they started naming a couple other people. Did, did this person see me? It's like, no, it wasn't them. They said, did you see me? <laughs> he says, no, no, it wasn't me. He said, God saw you. And he said, there's almost like the sense of relief. Oh, it was just God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, that should have been the scariest thing, right, that God saw me. That should have been the scariest thing. You don't breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, it was only God. This is the God that you fear and tremble before, right? You don't just cozy up to a God like this with your, your sin. So, so what if people snooped around and were trying to dig up some dirt on you? What would they find? Snooping around in your trash can. Opening up some of your deleted files on your computer. Viewed the pictures or programs that you've been watching. Overheard some of the things that you've been listening to. What, what kind of things would, would they find? Would they be able to say what they said about Daniel? We will not find any ground of accusation 
against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. That's the only place we're going to find an accusation against Daniel. Because he's such a man of integrity. And I love this. I love this fact. And, and when they talk about Daniel, they say regarding the law of his God. It's like this, this personal relationship that they know that he has with his God. Daniel and his God. And it's found throughout the, the chapter. In verse 5, verse 10, verse 23, verse 26. His God, his God, his God. The God of Daniel. There's this relationship that he has with God. A direct connection. So Daniel didn't blend in. He, the, the kind of work that he did, the kind of character that he had, it didn't just blend in with all of the, the rest of the, the satraps. He uh, uh, gained the attention of the king, and he also gained the attention of those that were around him. So if you have a fear of a sovereign God, your life won't blend in. Number two, if you have a fear of a sovereign God, your integrity won't bend over. Your integrity won't bend over. Look at verse 6. It says, Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials, the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. In contrast to, to Daniel, who wouldn't bend his integrity for anybody, wouldn't buckle under, you have these uh, governors that are willing to, to bend the truth. And a king who's, who's willing to kind of give in to flattery. You know, the governors give in to falsehood, the king gives in to flattery, and the two kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Falsehood and flattery go, to, go hand in hand. And let me help you out with something. If you hear something that's uh, too good to be true, it probably is. If you hear something that's too good to be true, it probably is. And this is exactly what you have going on in, in this section. You have uh, these satraps that get together and tell the king something that sounds too good to be true. Flattery. And uh, when these commissioners and satraps, they come in agreement, it's, it's obvious that they're telling a lie. Obvious. They, they say that, you know, they came by agreement and spoke to king and and said uh, in verse 7, all the commissioners of the kingdom and prefects and all the satraps, high officials, and governors have consulted together. There's at least one guy that I know wasn't included in this meeting. It's Daniel, right? So here they are saying, everybody's gotten together. We've all decided this. Yeah, right. Bunch of baloney. Daniel wasn't included in this. It's a lie. Straight up lie. Everybody's included. Also, it would have been extremely difficult to gather 120 satraps without being detected, and who, who knows if they even had time to, to gather the, the rest of the, the 120. It's a lie. It's, it's just a lie. They're saying, hey, we've, we've all done this together. And there's, there's no way that all of them uh, had agreed to do what they really uh, told the king about. Because they, they say that, you know, we've all gotten together, and, and basically what we've decided is uh, we want you to be king, not only king for a month, we want you to be God for a month. All of us have agreed to this. This is what we want. Ultimately, they had no fear of a, of a sovereign God, or else they never would have attempted this. If they knew anything about who God was, if they read their history, understood what happened in just you know, recent years past, you have uh, this same God that they're trying to go against now was the, the God who turned a, a furnace into a recreation room. Remember the three Hebrew boys kind of walking around? It's like, you know, this is supposed to be burning them up, and they're just in here walking around, talking to each other fellowshipping with the Son of God, right? This is a God who turns a furnace into a recreation room. This is, this is a God who turns kings into cattle. If they knew anything about their history, Nebuchadnezzar fed on grass like an ox. This is a God who can turn kings into cattle. This is a God who, who sends a hand without a body to write your death sentence, right? Why would they even want to mess with a God like this? And now they're going to try to trap Daniel and try to find accusation against him and his God, they, they totally had no fear of God. They had no understanding of, of even recent history. And next thing you have is this uh, king who's falling for flattering. And uh, like I said, they, they wanted him to be God for a month. And the, the proposal really wasn't totally foreign because in this kind of context, it was accepted. Many kings were believed to be gods. Uh, you have... Uh, Pharaoh, if you remember Pharaoh, in, uh, in Exodus, he was actually, a lot of Pharaohs were claimed to be gods. 
You had uh, Caesars. Uh, Roman Caesars were claimed to be gods. You have uh, Herod. If you remember King Herod in Acts chapter 12 and verse 22, all the people gathered around him and says, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of God. We're listening to the voice of a God. And they all kind of gathered around him and cheered him. And Herod's feeling pretty good about himself until he falls over and the worms eat him up alive. So people, they, they kind of had this understanding about, you know, men are kind of the gods come down to us if they can do extraordinary things. In uh, Acts chapter 14, you had Paul and Barnabas, you know, when uh, Paul and Barnabas were able to do miracles, the people came around him and says, hey, the gods have come down to us. And the first thing that, that Paul and Barnabas do is they rip their clothes, right? It's like, please don't do this. Don't do this. This is wrong. Don't, don't, don't call me God. I'm not a God. I'm, I'm a man just like you. See, look, look, fill me up. I'm just like you. Anybody who has any kind of fear of God, that's immediately what they do. They don't accept any worship and glory that goes to God alone. And here you have uh, the Persians. The Persians were worshipped as gods. Um, And the people here, when these 120 satraps got together, they weren't saying that, you know, we don't want to recognize any other gods. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, you know, we we still want to, you know, we still give honor to these other gods. We're just saying just for a month. This is just temporary. We're just saying that, that we want to give you supreme honor for a month above all the other gods. So, so we're just going to dedicate a month to you. And if you remember, uh, Darius is interested in securing the stability of the nation. Remember, he's just taken over Babylon. He's just entered into the city. So uh, maybe he thought that, you know, hey, this is a way to kind of, you know, keep the peace. And if this is what everybody wants, let's just give in. And, you know, this will kind of keep things settled. And after all, he's terribly flattered that you'd actually think about me as a God. This is, this is just, this is quite wonderful, isn't it? You want to think about me as a God. I'll, I'll just, let's just go along with it. Like I said, if, if you hear something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And uh, as parents, we need to, to make sure that our children understand that. <laughs> because that's often how, how our kids are trapped into situations where they shouldn't be in. When, when they're flattered, when people just want to say oh, all kinds of, oh, you are, just, you are just the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen in my life, right? Flattery, flattery, often because they have something else on the, the back end that they, they want, right? Uh, Psalm 5, verse 9, there's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. You have somebody that gives you a lot of flattery, you might want to watch out, Right? Proverbs 29, verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. Flattery is, is the, the, the net that's being spread out for a, for a trick. Uh, Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. And uh, here you have these 120 that, that flatter the king because they're actually working ruin in the, behind the scenes. And uh, what made this so dangerous is that the... Uh, edict of Persian kings couldn't be changed. Couldn't be changed. Even by the king himself, the law of the Medes and the Persians forbid it. Uh, we find the same law referred to in the book of, of Esther. If you remember when King Ahasuerus uh, made a law that the, uh, uh, the Jews were to be exterminated, that they were to be uh, killed. And uh, he says, you know, I've already made the law. I can't, I can't change it now. What he could change is uh, allowing the Jews to defend themselves, <laughs> you know, when they were, you know, pursued. Uh, so he, he changed it in that way, but he couldn't change the law that he made. And elsewhere in history, you find a mention of this same law by another King Darius, uh, uh, Darius III, who sentenced a man to death. It's uh, found in, in history. Uh, he immediately, it's like he got upset with the guy, sentenced him to death, and immediately he felt sorry about what he, what he said. But he's like, hey, it's, it's too late. <laughs> I've already made this edict. I can't change it. He immediately repented, blamed himself as having greatly erred. But it was not possible to undo what was done by royal authority. So it's like, I feel bad about it, but it's like the guy's going to die. I can't change it now. So this is what made it dangerous and why these satraps came and said, you need to to make this one of the law of the Medes and the Persians. Because it's so important that we give you the honor as God for a a month. This is so important. And the, the law of the Medes and the Persians, it was actually intended to protect kings from making laws that were flippant or frivolous. You know, it's like if you're going to make a law, it's like you better be sure that you want to carry this thing through. So it's supposed to give the, the king some, some caution and pause. And it's like, hey, think it over before you just make a law. But the, the king, he had no time to think about this one. It's like, you know, hey, it's accepted that kings can be gods. It's only for a month. It's going to stabilize my country. Everybody agrees to it. It's like, yeah, I like this. Let's, let's sign, it into, sign it into law. 
And what they're counting on here is that, uh, that even though they lack integrity and the king lacks integrity, what they're counting on is that, that Daniel doesn't lack integrity. That's like the, the hinge pin that everything you know, uh, falls on, right? It's like if, if Daniel lacks integrity, then none of this works. What we're counting on is that Daniel can't refrain from praying for a month. That's what we're counting on. That's what we're counting on for his, for his ultimate doom and destruction, that he can't refrain from praying for a month. He's not like us. He's a person of an integrity. And the, the third point that I'll develop uh, next time is, is really this. Uh, the third point is, uh, if you fear a sovereign God, your character won't buckle under. Your character won't buckle under. And the uh, question for you is, uh, how, how important is your commitment to God? How, how important is your devotional life? How, how important is it that you, that you pray and spend time with, with God every day? Is that important to you? Is it, is it important enough to you that you'd actually give your life for it? You have uh, Daniel here. All he had to do was refrain from praying for a month, or at least hide the fact that he is praying for a month, right? You know, just, just have some silent, quiet time in a back room, you know, doors closed. Just, just have some silent, quiet time. Just pretend like, you know, you didn't hear what was going on, and you're just back in a, in a room somewhere. It's not like a, they said that he had to pray to a false god. You know, you could just say, well, I'm not going to pray at all. I'm not going to pray at all. Didn't have to pray to a false god. He just didn't have to pray to the, the true one. But Daniel, in both his words and in his posture, he made it abundantly clear that, that prayer to the true God is exactly what I'm engaged in. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to go in some back corner. I'm not going to refrain from praying at all. It's important to note that uh, Daniel didn't do this in defiance of uh, the king's edict. It's not like he's just doing a, a public demonstration and protest to say, hey, I disagree with you, and now I'm going to fling my windows open and show you what I'm doing in my, my house. He's not doing it in defiance. He's not doing, it, doing uh, this prayer in response. He's not praying in response to what he just heard. Like, oh, no, you know, now they're after me. Now let me pray to God and hope that God will help me. You know, often people treat God like he's the, uh, the spare tire instead of the steering wheel. It's like, you know, things are going wrong. Oh, the flat, you know, let me go in the back. Back in the trunk and get out the spare. You know, let me, let me throw up some prayers now because things are going bad. You know, God should be like right in front steering and guiding your life. It's not just who you call on when things go wrong. So Daniel, he, he wasn't praying out of defiance. He's not praying because now he's fearful and, you know, now I've got to pray in response to what was happening. What really strikes us about this is that it's just so routine for Daniel. He did it in spite of what he just heard. I don't, I don't care what kind of law was just made. I'm going to do what I've been doing. I'm going to do what I did yesterday and the day before and the day before that. He's just consistent. Verse 10, it says that now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered into his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. What strikes us about this is that it's just routine. I'm just going to continue doing what I was doing before. Not going to change, not going to deviate. He doesn't ramp it up. He doesn't tone it down. He's just, I'm just going to continue. Just going to continue what I'm doing. So the question is, is uh, if your life was, was on the line because of, of prayer, <laughs> because of some time with, with God, where would you stand? And the, the point with, uh, with Daniel is that because he had a, a fear of God, it didn't matter what happened on the outside. That he was going to continue doing what he was doing before. Are you prepared to deal with the God who's sovereign, who always wins, and uh, that you're, you're committed to him because you know who he, who he is. Again, in uh, Luke chapter 12, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that they have no more that they can do. But I'll warn you who to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into to hell. Are you, are you fearful of a sovereign God like that? So that it doesn't matter if a group of friends don't include you, coworkers betray you, your family turns against you, speaks against you. Enemies persecute you, or even a fear of a pack of, of lions. Uh, some of you guys uh, might remember the name Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp was uh, a bishop of Smyrna, a disciple of the apostle John. And uh, like I mentioned, uh, we're, we're learning about Daniel not only at the beginning of his life, but all the way to the end, what sustained him through, throughout the end of his life. Listen to, to this uh, uh, story about Polycarp. In the year 155 A.D., he fell into the hands of the Romans. The usual test applied to Christians was that they must call Caesar 
the emperor Lord as if he were a divine person. Same kind of situation. Same thing like what happened to, to Daniel. You know, just, just pray to Darius as if he's God for a month and we'll let you go. Here, the, the situation in 155 AD was just, just call Caesar God. Just call him Lord. We'll let you go. You don't have to be eaten by lions. Refusal to do so meant the death sentence. Taken before the Roman council, Polycarp was required to venerate Caesar. Call Caesar God. We'll let you go. But he was firm in his refusal. The council said, I have wild beasts. If you refuse, we will throw you to them. Polycarp said, send for him. If you despise the wild beasts, I will send you to the fire. And the council said, swear and I will release you. Curse Christ. Just curse Christ. We'll let you go. No fire, no beast. We'll let you go. Listen to what Polycarp said. He says, 86 years have I served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? You threaten the fire that burns for an hour and then is quenched. But you know not of the fire of the judgment to come and of the fire of eternal punishment. Bring what you will. He could stand in the day of adversity because he had confidence and fear of a sovereign God. He understood who his God was. He feared God more than he feared the beasts, more than he feared the flames. And the, the question is, is, is that the kind of fear that you have of God? Like, like I said, it's, it's, it's much more than, uh, you know, uh, where's God when I'm afraid? It's who's afraid of my God? Who, who understands who my God is? If you have a fear in a, in a God like this, this is a God that will sustain you for the entirety of your life. I love what Polycarp said. Eighty-six years have I served Christ. He's done me no wrong. Bring what you will. doesn't matter what happens doesn't matter what comes our way. If we have a, a firm confidence in the God like this, we can stand the test of time. And that's the kind of families that we need in our day and age, don't we? That's, those, that's the kind of character that we need to be building into our kids. And, and it's something I'm very concerned about, even with my own uh, children, as we see the, the way that history's going, the way that our nation's going. We need children that are going to stand the test of time for the entirety of their lives. And the only way that they're going to have that is that they have a fear of God more than they have a fear of man. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you, God, so much for uh, this time that we've been able to share uh, together in your word. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, what you teach us through stories, uh, stories of uh, men who uh, stood firm in the face of adversity, uh, who stood firm and with the threat of fire, with the threat of uh, being thrown and torn apart by wild beasts, my Father, we have uh, examples of men who stood the, the test of, of time. And, uh, Father, I pray that, that we would have a, a similar fear of God, that if we have that relationship with God, as, as they were to say about Daniel, that this is his God, I pray that they'd be able to say about us that this is their God and that the only thing that they could accuse us of is the things in which we're faithful to this God uh, because we have this, this bold, strong, indefeatable confidence in this God. My Father, I pray that that would be true of us. In Jesus' name, we praise you and give you thanks. Amen.